As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, well, good early morning to uh, to all of you out there. Welcome into the Buffalo Beat. Uh, my name is Joe Biscali. With me is my podcast co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And we are through the first night of the NFL Draft. The Bills stood pat. They stayed right at number 30. They didn't, Brandon Bean didn't get the itch to trade up and try and um get a player he was excited about like he normally does he practiced some patience even said he had some uh, offers to move down but ultimately decided to stay and select defensive end pass rusher Gregory Russo or Greg Russo as as he wants to be called from Miami and the stats on him are pretty good uh, in he opted out of 2020 but in 2019 had 19 and a half tackles for lost had two forced fumbles, had 15 and a half sacks in 13 games. So the production is very good. The prototypes, the, the, the prototype that they look for is very good. Over six foot six, 266 pounds, uh, over 34 inch long arms. So all of those uh, things check the boxes. But we'll go over the pick and perhaps what the Bills could have done with the pick or maybe um, some some strategy uh, just just in general of the first round and the ideology behind it uh, of, of what they ended up doing. So Matthew Fairburn, when you analyze the pick of Rousseau, what was your initial thought of it and and really how this helps them this year and in in the future? I think once the board started to fall the way that it did, edge rusher started to make a lot of sense. Uh, Greg Newsom and Eric Stokes went off the board, you know, within a few picks before the Bills at number 30. The Browns took Newsom at 26. The Packers took Stokes at 29. That made five corners in the first round. Dipping into the sixth one, I think, would have been starting to reach into a tier that will probably comfortably be there with their second round pick. So edge rusher started to come into focus there. And there were a few names 
in a similar bucket, all of which were projections for various reasons, you know, whether it was injuries or, you know, scheme fit or lack of production, uh, you know, every player had a knock because that's the type of edge rusher class this was in a lot of ways. You didn't have the no-brainer top five, top ten pick at the position, but you had some guys with some imperfections. And I, I would throw Greg Russo into that camp. He's not a picture-perfect prospect, but I think what I see is a player who is coming into a situation that suits him because he doesn't have to play a massive role in his first season with the Bills. He can sit behind Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, rotate in. Brandon Bean mentioned the possibility of him being an interior rusher when they go to nickel packages and, and you know finding ways to have him get some early success that way while he continues to grow into his body, refine his technique, his counter moves. It's going to be a little bit of a slower process. The, the Bills... What they did was they they did not go for the instant gratification of trading up for a position that would maybe make a bigger impact or a prospect that was a little bit more pro-ready. They're taking a guy who opted out of the 2020 season. They're taking a guy who still has to grow into his body a little bit, still has to learn how to play the position. He was a, a wide receiver not too long ago. So they're looking towards the future and they have the luxury to do it because they have a roster that didn't have a ton of obvious needs and they have a head coach and general manager who are very comfortable not only in their personal job security but in the long-term nature of this uh you know i you'd call it a build i guess but at this point it's you know pretty much built but they're comfortable in how they stand and how their roster stands how everything is set up. So they feel like they don't need to go and get a running back. They don't need to go and get a player, the one player that's going to put them over the top. They're thinking, who's the guy that can put them over the top in 2022 and 2023? And I think it's a credit to how they've built the roster and a credit to the infrastructure in place in general that they can make a pick like this. Yeah, and the potential part of it is is why I like the pick as as much as I do it, at 30th overall if you're getting into the realm of pass rushers you're not going to get a player without his warts I mean Gregory Russo the stats were absolutely there and there he he's just a bit of a conflicting prospect when you watch him I mean for back back in 2019 you see this player that is clearly um, just starting to really figure out how to use his frame. Um, he was, from what Brandon Bean said, 20 pounds lighter. And it, you saw a player that could still close on the quarterback, had bend around the edge, even though he was this frame, this really tall, super long defensive end coming off the the left side of the line mo most often, and and watching him be able to do that despite an overall lack of fluidity and change of direction, still being able to do all of these things, um, it's it's kind of fascinating to watch him play, and you know I think the explosiveness that maybe 
I, I'm probably guilty of reading a little bit too much into because that was one of the things that, that first came out of uh, Brandon Bean's mouth, which made me believe that maybe Rousseau wouldn't have been a perfect fit for them despite having all of the height, weight, arm length characteristics that they look for. But that said, if they're just looking at the 10-yard split, then they're going, okay, well, he's explosive enough and having a, a higher percentile in that spot despite not having... Uh, a very good broad jump or vertical jump, which also um, shows explosiveness within within an athlete. But I think for what Rousseau is and what he can be is a player that that uh, can grow into it a little bit here. And like you said, they don't need to have him be a big time contributor right away. I mean, this is what the Bills are at this point. We always say there's two glaring exceptions. There's actually three glaring exceptions of um, rookies that have to play a lot early on. And those those were only because the Bills had nothing else. The list includes Tremaine Edmonds, Tredavious White, and Zay Jones. And uh, even though Zay Jones didn't work out quite as well as Edmonds and Tredavious White did. But that's no longer the case in Buffalo. They don't need these rookies to come in and just be 100% snap players, or even in a defensive ends case, if they start, a 70% snap player. Russo will probably factor in somewhere between 20 to 40% of his of snaps early on in the season, and then maybe work into it a little bit more, um, especially if he's starting to show a little bit and... Maybe they reduce Mario Addison's role, build Russo up as they get closer for what they believe to be a potential playoff push again this season. And that's kind of where you're going to start to see him work it. But um, he does need to learn how to use his body more effectively. The one critique that I have of him is that he gets stalled way too easily and the the one I, I know I brought this up on the podcast before when we were talking about pass rushers, but you know after going through and and watching all these players, you the you want to go in and see what uh, the people who the people you respect thinks of these players and uh, you know outside of Dane Brugler who's our uh, who's our draft expert here at the Athletic, uh, I also like to look at the opinions of a few others, including Lance Zierlein, of, uh, who does a great job over at NFL.com. And the way that he put it was, Russo absorbs more contact, or absorbs more contact than he, than he doles out. So that means, you know, he's, he was in 2019, too, at times, content to just uh, hit the spot and and not really fight off of it. And for a bigger player, I think that's a slight concern. But again, like you said, he's still very young into his position. So they're they're betting on the long game here, and I don't hate that idea. I mean, you have to I love a swing for the fences pick in general and one that has production along with it. Um they they probably think they're they're getting a, a potential steal here. This is a, a risky pick in some ways, a, a gamble, but it's one that they can afford to take because of where they're at. And, you know, Dane Brugler, you know, summed up Russo as, 
quote, a faith-based projection with clear bust potential because he is still learning how to be impactful from snap to snap, but his natural instincts and traits, length, frame, athleticism, give him a Chandler Jones type of ceiling. That's worth taking a chance on at number 30, in my opinion. I mean, and I do think that what the Bills have done, you can look at their drafts from the time Brandon Bean got here. And I think you can say that while perhaps it's hard to point to the absolute home runs outside of Josh Allen, it's also pretty clear that they, whether it's who they pick or how they develop the players that they pick, they have a way of raising the floor of these players. And I wonder if that's the case with Rousseau. You know, the idea of him being a bust, uh, you can see it because of some of the projection that that needs to take place. But I also, you know, listening to Brandon Bean talk about him and thinking about how he could fit into this defensive line, playing with Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison for a year, getting some coaching from Eric Washington, you can see where that floor could come up. And the way he can impact the game from the interior, I think, gives them an out if it doesn't work out super well on the edge. Not saying he'll be a full-time interior player, but it gives you a place to make him impactful. And that's mm-hmm. the way you raise the floor on a player like this. And and the potential is clearly there for him to be you know, much better, I, I think, than the number 30 pick. So... He was a guy that early on in the draft process was considered to be a pretty high pick. And that doesn't always pan out. Most of the time it doesn't. But still, he had that pedigree. I think a lot of it was the production, the 15 and a half sacks. The opt-out didn't really help him. But, you know, the fact that he still went in the first round says quite a bit about him. They seem to, you know, this was one of those picks that was a little bit you know, in the Bills' wheelhouse because he didn't test well and they don't always go after players who test super well under Brandon Bean. Uh, Math Bomb on Twitter does the relative athletic scores. Russo's pretty average for a defensive end, 7.75. The Bills don't, under Brandon Bean, get a ton of superb athletes. In fact, sometimes they try to find inefficiencies in the process by going after guys who didn't test particularly well and maybe people are overlooking them because of it that's what happened with aj epinesa just last year uh zach moss devin singletary uh, fall into that camp as well and i think there's a little bit of that here but it also feels like there is some pretty big upside if this can work out and they needed a player like this on their defensive end depth chart because I do think there is a bit more of a limited ceiling with AJ Epinesa as opposed to Rousseau. And I'm interested to see how they work Rousseau into the mix and what the plan looks like to develop him because there's a lot there to develop. Yeah. I, I mean, he's, he could become a really nice piece for this team. And I also like the fit uh, just, just from, a few other ways of, of thinking about this. You know, first and foremost, the immediate response you have to anything that the Bills do this offseason that is new is, 
okay, how do they catch Kansas City? Because that's that's been like the the over the overwhelming overlord of the entire offseason. Like fans want to know, okay, what are they going to do to get better than Kansas City? And I think Russo, as compared to let's say the other guys that were available, Jason Owe, uh, Aziz Ojalari, um, I think those are probably the, the two primary examples I want I want to use here. Those guys are very speed based and they're gonna rush up the field and potentially they will allow the back channel uh, and and lose their contain in there. And I just think back to what we discussed about what what was part of the problem in that Kansas City game was not that just the Bills weren't getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes, but when they were starting to make some headway, they would lose their contain and Mahomes would get out of the pocket, which had a trickle-down effect of the linebackers and cornerbacks having to you know, get out of their zone and, and motion towards him to limit the run, to which Mahomes and the receivers of the Chiefs just kind of countered that, got themselves into an open area of the field, and that's how they're just able to churn out yards, yards like crazy, um, especially against the Bills' zone-based defense. Russo, on the other hand, is not that. Like, he is more of the um, contain into a bubble sort of defensive end as opposed to sell out for the wide rush because he's not super speedy. Um, he is ex- he, he is explosive on the first step and has that closing speed and can bend around the edge, but it's not at the expense of him just completely getting whitewashed into the backfield, uh, past the quarterback even. So I kind of like the fit from that perspective as well. Uh, the, there are some drawbacks though. Like when you watch him, the, the thing that kept coming to my mind is, okay, is he a 4-3 defensive end or is he more of a five technique in an odd man front, which also probably gives the Bills flexibility if they want to run more of that stuff or even sliding him inside like, like you talked about. But it, it almost feels like he's a little bit of a tweener right now that just needs to figure out the technique part of it. And that'll come with time, or so they hope. And it's going to be on Eric Washington, even Jerry Hughes, um, Mario Addison, and Sean McDermott to be able to to get this out of him. But I, I immediately thought to Kansas City, like, oh, okay. That, that would make sense from that perspective because that would make them better if, if he's on the field and potentially not allowing Patrick Mahomes to get outside of that pocket, which would in turn help the defense in general. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What Brandon Bean mentioned that stood out to me was, you know, the the way Greg Russo can impact the quarterback with his long arms and his feel when he is pass rushing and he's near the quarterback and he can, you know, reach out and impact a throw or cause a fumble. That's the little stuff that, you know, maybe doesn't all, I mean, the guy had 15 and a half sacks, so a lot of stuff showed up in the stat sheet for him, but the way you can impact throwing lanes with those long arms once you know how to use them, I think is a big deal when you're going up against a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, who they will be Mm -hmm. going up against year in and year out for the foreseeable future. And defensive end is not a need that you address when you need it. If you, if you need it badly and you're addressing it, it's probably too late. They don't need it badly in the short term because of Hughes and Addison, but they're going to need it pretty badly a year from now. So getting ahead of that, I think, is pretty smart. Figuring out where to use them. I've never thought anything they did at 30 necessarily prevents them from adding to this position in the future either. Mm-hmm. You know, AJ Epinesa in the second round, you know, that a second round pick is a premium pick in a sense, but it is not the premium pick. It's not a top 10 or 15 pick. It's a guy that you hope will be a starter for you. 30 isn't super far off from that. It's still a first round pick. You've got the fifth year option and everything to consider there, but it's still something that you say, all right, if this guy is a decent starter, it's not going to prevent them if cap space allows from going after a similar deal like they did with J.J. Watt, you know, this offseason, if that type of player becomes available. Because depending what happens with Hughes and Addison beyond this year, I think Addison's as good as gone after 2021. Mm -hmm. Hughes can maybe stick around. But either way, you're going to be able to start from scratch a little bit with Russo and Epinesa as, you know, the two main building blocks. But it doesn't prevent them from continuing to search for more pass rushing talent because they rotate so much on the defensive line, especially at defensive end. And I think it, you know, just gives them another toolsy project type of player that really was lacking that the upside and the long-term upside in particular of their defensive end depth chart really wasn't there. And that has been true pretty much since Sean McDermott got here. So, you know, when Daryl Johnson is the guy that they were, you know, kind of holding out hope for in that regard, you know, he's a seventh round pick. You you have to invest high picks in this position and their mm-hmm. plan isn't to be picking uh, too much higher than they were picking this weekend. They don't want to be in the position to get a chase young. So you have to take a chance on guys that aren't as perfect as Chase Young or the Bosa's. And that's what you see here. A guy that certainly has flaws that, you know, will be likely exposed early on in his career. How he handles that and how he grows from that will 
determine his success, but getting a guy with these, you know, baseline traits that they look for, it's pretty clear, you know, now the more we see what they do at different positions, exactly what they're looking for, right? Like you can kind of piece together little bits of information. And then, you know, the more you hear them talk about it, a guy that they've picked, it becomes a little bit more clear what they're looking for and exactly what they're looking for. And um, mm-hmm. this guy is certainly a Brandon Bean type of prospect in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, in in some ways last year, we didn't get like a, a direct represent, representation of what they really wanted in a defensive end because the guy that they draft him, drafted, they basically asked him to reformat his, his body. So um, we didn't get a true representation, but still nonetheless um and forgive me for not remembering the question that was asked of being entirely because it is now 4 32 in the morning and <laughs> both of us have, have yet to sleep but this is the way that he sounded this evening it certainly made it sound like that the bills were intent on adding some pass rush piece at 30th overall, which, you know, I, I think is quite smart, maybe slightly overreactive to the AFC championship game, but still smart nonetheless, because their, their uh, pass rush altogether was average to slightly below average, probably with the exception of Jerry Hughes and, and Ed Oliver near, near the end of the season. But it was interesting to hear him say that, especially with all of these rumors that that we kind of uh, tossed around leading up to the actual event. And part of me wants to know what would have happened if Travis Etienne would have been there. Would would they still go for the defensive line pack? Would they would they have taken the the candy, which is the running back in the thirtieth pick? But the way that Brandon Bean made it sound is that. This was a pass rush situation that that they were looking for all the way at at number 30. Yeah, the wording he used was that they wanted somebody who could affect the quarterback in some Mm -hmm. way. And whether that was an edge rusher or an interior player, that seemed to be their focus. And it also held true when he said they were going to look long term more than short term. You know, Mm -hmm. he he signaled that in his pre-draft news conference. So... In some ways, this was, you know, went according to plan. And as I mentioned at the top, I think to me, it was always a matter of what would be the better value among a small bucket of positions, really the two positions that we talked about, corner and edge rusher. And you look at the way the board went, you know, right after they went, you know, Jason Owe and Joe Tryon were the last two picks of the round. That was the spot for for edge rushers. That was the the run, you know, and there was going to be a drop off. Brandon Bean mentioned that they had an offer to trade down and another call came in late while they were on the clock, but if they moved out of the first round, they probably miss on that tier. And I think that tier of edge rushers meant something to them, especially, you know, I would have been I would have been interested if Travis Etienne were on the on the board, but I really don't think they would have picked him. 
Yeah, I, me neither. I, it would have been the, the edge rusher. The more interesting conversation, I think, would have been if Greg Newsom were on the board. What do you do? Because he was a pretty, you know, on some, you know, rankings and, and boards, he was, you know, as high as 18 on Dane Brugler's final uh, top 300. And that's where you're, you're saying, all right, you've got a similar tier corner and a similar tier edge rusher, maybe even a, a slightly higher tier corner compared to an edge rusher, but it seemed pretty clear that this was the, t- the position that they had zeroed in on. Now, mm-hmm. it's an interesting side conversation of it was going to be somebody who could affect the quarterback, and it steers into the best player available conversation of it's always best player available at a position of need. And, right. you know, it worked. I think it did work out in this case. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you with 100% conviction that that Greg Russo was the best player on the board, period. Now, we can assume in most cases that these teams are taking the best player on their individual boards. Uh, They're all going to tell you that. I can't tell you that he was without, you know, any shred of doubt, the best player that they possibly could have taken at that spot. Perhaps there was a receiver or a linebacker or what have you, but this was the position that they seemed to identify. And I, I do think after uh, after Newsom and Stokes went 26 and 29, I was going to be extremely surprised if it were anything other than a defensive end or a trade. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Um, and I don't know, I, I even think that the drop-off point that, that we're discussing here um, that being for the defensive ends, because once you get past Joe Tryon, you get into like Carlos Basham, Joseph Osai, Ronnie Perkins. These are players that are not exact fits of what they're looking for and are actually pretty poor fits for, for what they're looking for. I mean, Osai is more of a three, four outside linebacker. Carlos Basham is shorter. Um, uh, he weighs more and and his arms are short than what they usually look for and he's not really that explosive um even in the 10 yard split actually he might have been in the 10 yard split but still the other three things were were not great for him Ronnie Perkins undersized has some off field stuff that that maybe wouldn't be conducive to them picking him so that drop off point and as opposed to cornerback where you've got a legit crew of of players that are probably going to be available at 61. Um, it, I, I, I kind of wonder, even if Newsom and Stokes were there, I kind of feel like defensive end probably still would have been the pick just because of the way that that Bean was speaking so quickly with conviction that they wanted something to affect the quarterback. I mean, if you go back to how they spoke throughout the season, and this is, you know, obviously we have the power of information now of what they actually did with the 30th overall pick. But if, if we just take it back to how they talked all season after the season, how they wanted to affect the quarterback more often than they did, it, it all kind of lines up here. So yeah, the, the cornerback would be good, certainly. And they, ha- they are going to have some kicks at the can in the second and maybe even third round for, for one of those guys. But Pass rusher, they they. This is now 
five drafts for this regime, and Bean wasn't involved with the, with the 2017 draft, but still, this is now five drafts for this regime, and all five, um, well, the, the times that they've had a first-round pick, they have used it on a premium position to, uh, to their scheme. The first one was cornerback one with Tredavious White. The second one was with Josh Allen and the quarterback, obviously premium, middle linebacker, which in their scheme is premium. Uh, following that, Ed Oliver, three technique, a premium spot in, in, their, in their build. And now defensive end, a, an edge rusher with a first-round pick to Greg Russo. Um, is cornerback two premium in their minds? And was it a, a consideration um, if with equal prospects, equal footing, where defensive end would probably get the tiebreaker in that? So, so yeah, I, I that, that's a long-winded way of saying, I think it might have been edge rusher no matter what. Well, particularly with the bucket of players that was available. I think, yeah, true. You know, if you flip the runs, you know, and you have some of these defensive ends come off the board a little bit earlier because first one didn't come off the board until 18. Uh, Quiddy, yeah, that was big for them. Quiddy Pay didn't come off until 21. So, you know, if a little bit of a run happened in the early 20s and you're sitting there, you know, looking at, you know, Newsom or Stokes versus Tryon or Oway. You know, maybe it's a different conversation. It did also seem like, based on what Brandon Bean said, that that Russo was a guy, you know, one of the guys they had circled, you know, one of the guys that they were targeting. And that's where this thing can go a million different ways on draft night. And there has to be sort of that narrow focus on a position or two that you're hoping to have that certain player or that certain few players fall and you're prepared to pivot and trade or do whatever else if it doesn't work out. So I think mm -hmm. they got, you know, what they came into this draft hoping to come away with in the early rounds because both the depth, a few things, the depth of the cornerback class, the ability to, you know, get a decent corner later, which is easier to do than at edge rusher just because of the traits required to play defensive end in the NFL. But also the fact that it's the number two spot in their, their scheme, you know, it's the, the number two corner, not the number one corner. Newsom, you know, would have been great. Uh, Stokes a little less so, but Stokes is a really good player too. Having two lockdown corners certainly would be, uh, you know, a, a great, you know, thing to have in, in this defense. But you only get so many first or second round picks, which is really what you have to use on defensive end. It felt like if they did not take one here, they would have had to take one in the second round. And like you said, the options started to thin out pretty quickly. So I think they're still in a good spot to say, get a corner, rounds two, three, four, somewhere in there. Probably if I'm sitting here, you know, and this will be obsolete uh, by the time some people listen <laughs> to it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they take two corners uh, the rest of the mm -hmm. way, you know, just to get some mm -hmm. depth there. And they've had some luck, you know, picking in the middle rounds. There's still some good players on the board. Asante Samuel Jr. is still out there. 
so they've got some some options there. They've set themselves up pretty well if the guy that they picked turns out to be what they they hope he can be then they've done really well for themselves and i think you know that that remains to be seen we'll see what what becomes of this pick and it's one that you really won't know uh it's true of most drafts but certainly a pick like this one you know he deserves the benefit of the doubt in 2021 and and probably judgment starts in 2022 yeah, and I'd even go as far as say judgment really starts in 2023 since he's not going to be a uh, a big time contributor this year. But you know what I find amazing that every single one of these teams will sit there and say, oh, "We're we're dressed. We're we're going to be drafting best player available." Yet every single one of these teams drafted one of their top five or six needs. Um, as as our uh, team at the athletic put them together, you know, just go right right down the list. Every single one position uh, a position is listed that that was taken in the first round. So, yeah, when when you hear best player available uh, from teams, just kind of roll your eyes a little bit because that doesn't mean best player available. It 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 means best player at the position that they would like to draft. Um, so so there there's there's that line of thinking. Patrick Sertan, that pick to the Broncos, felt like a best player available pick. Um, not that they don't need a They corner, needed a corner bad. But that felt like a best player available pick to me. Like, I don't know that that was their top need. Um, if that was, No. I think he was the best player on the board. I think I'd say the same about Carolina. Needed a corner, but that's the thing. If you expand the definition of need, certainly everybody's picking for some sort of need uh, early in the draft, whether they're doing mm-hmm. it consciously or not. They're, you know, stacking their board in such a way. But exactly, yeah, there would have been. That's the point. There would have been, you know, a lot of different. You know, picks would have looked a lot different if it was truly <laughs> the absolute best player. In fact, maybe the Bills don't even pick the guy that they pick, but you grade them differently at premium positions. You grade them differently. You know, perhaps your board is stacked differently based on needs. So, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into it. But more often than not, you're not just blindly picking players, you know, the best guy, you know, you know, auto draft style. It's, you know, a little bit more nuanced than that. And shows up each and every year. Mm-hmm. Now, as you mentioned, we don't want to get into too far into the realm of the obsolete based on when uh, all of you might be listening to this because there is day two happening on Friday evening. So if you don't listen to it between Friday morning and Friday evening, then you have the benefit of knowing what happened already. But um, it, just just to kind of give a brief overview of what Maybe, maybe what we're expecting. Um, you mentioned the idea of one, possibly two cornerbacks. I think that's that's absolutely the case. I think the one thing I would look for in the second round here is this might be a spot where Bean starts to consider moving up from number 61. And it's and the only way I, w- I could see him doing that are for one of two scenarios. You know, there I think there is a handful of players right now at two positions of need, um, that being cornerback and the interior offensive line that are borderline first-round prospects. And those those three players in my mind are 
Asante Samuel Jr., who uh, I believe would suit them very well for a uh, both an inside and outside role. Um, obviously, there's history there too, familiarity, which helps with a team like the Bills. Um, Tyson Campbell from Georgia, who is a very traitsy sort of uh, uh, sort of cornerback that completely fits their mold of you know the height, weight, length thing that, that they look for. Good run defender, uh, everything like that. Willing tackler. Um, so may, perhaps him, and then Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma is another one who seems to be on that borderline cusp of of a first round pick uh, and doesn't have the injury concerns of, say, a Landon Dickerson from from Alabama. So if you see one of those three guys fall down to maybe like 45, I could see Brandon Bean going, all right, uh, securing a potential second guy that has a, a borderline first round grade here. And I don't know if they have borderline first round grades for them, but securing one of those guys um, would be the optimal impact of of what day one and day two could be for them. But if if those guys are gone with uh, um, before a pick within reason for them to move up, then it's probably best served to them to wait a little bit, and then when you look at interior linemen potentially with like a uh, a a center lean that either being Josh Myers from Ohio State who we've talked a lot about or Quinn Miners from from Wisconsin Whitewater I think there's a there's a chance that he might try to jump up to the pick that I labeled for them is 54 because right after 54 you've got Pittsburgh at 55 Seattle at 56 and the LA Rams at 57, who all need interior linemen. And that cost wouldn't be too great to move up there. So just just kind of a food for thought thing. Or they could just stand pat and take a cornerback um, at, at 61. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna find a good player there. I, I don't really think they're running a risk that they're going to be on the outside looking in of that second tier. It just all depends on how aggressive Brandon Bean wants to get. And we've seen him in the past. He likes to get aggressive from time to time. Yeah, he has to be careful about hollowing out the middle of his draft too much. And I think, true, true. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the second day of the draft, in round two, it's still a little costly to move up. And by round three and four, it's pretty easy to do so. So I think there could be some movement for sure. I don't know. We'll see. You know how the board shakes out early on in in the second round, but these uh, these aggressive moves up in the second round, you know, sometimes can hollow out the middle of your draft when it's already pretty hollow because they don't have a fourth round pick. So we've talked about how thin it can get at the end of this year, and you know. That's before the draft. The last mock draft I did, I had them moving both their fifth round picks for a fourth round pick, you know, mm-hmm. that type of trade. And I could see it in the third round. You throw in a fifth round pick, move up a few spots. Um, if you only have to give up the fives to move up in the second round, that's one thing. If you're mo- you're starting to mm-hmm. move the three, you know, that might be harder to swallow. I think they'd like to have that, that third rounder. Yeah, I, I agree there. That's why I think the optimal idea there would be 
to move up to that 54 spot because I think that would only necessitate the the two fifth rounders. So we'll see what happens. You know that this could be all for naught. Maybe they just stand pat and and try to move up from 93 in the third round, which would be a lot easier to do. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any uh, any final words before <laughs> before it gets to be five in the morning? <laughs> I've got nothing. It was a a pretty. <laughs> Pretty solid pick, a pretty exciting evening in the AFC East. Some new quarterbacks heading to the division. Uh, but I'd say all in all, Bills fans are probably waking up relatively happy. Perhaps unfazed is the word um, mm-hmm. for Bills fans here. Even with the perceived concerns about you know some flaws in Greg Russo's game, I think there's a new trust in what the Bills are doing and in what Brandon Bean is doing. It won't always be perfect. He won't bat a thousand. But, you know, the idea that they don't need desperately for this guy to change the course of their 2021 season, there's, you know, a, a comfort in that, you know, for, for fans. And to watch the Patriots have to sit and wait for their quarterback you know, for a change or watch the Jets draft another one uh, after drafting one just a few years ago. Certainly um, everybody else is scrambling to catch up to the Bills, and that's a different different kind of draft experience for Bills fans. <laughs> no doubt. And waiting till the end for uh, of a round is certainly a different experience in itself. All right. So that'll do it for us. Uh, we will talk to you next once the draft concludes. Uh, there won't be anything after after the second day, but uh, but yeah, we will we will reconvene once the the draft class is complete and figure out what this team looks like in totality and and if they find any more long term answers along the way on day two. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you at the end of the draft. See you then.